Morning, everybody. How's it going today? I like that last song. That's a new one for us. I like that. All your promises, God, are yes and amen. And I want to lean into that every single day. So I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful for rain. How about you? That's what I thought. Uh, how many of you are not so grateful for rain? <laughs> hmm. You know, the Bible says, in everything, give thanks. <laughs> okay, well, it's not 100 degrees today, and I'm happy for that. <laughs> okay, I don't know where you're all coming from, but it's all good. Um, we're going to look into Scripture today together, and we're going to talk about what God wants to do to make us whole and to get us started on, the, on that journey today, I want you to look at this picture with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Clappage for the picture of my wife. Uh, keep that up there for a second, you guys. So th- I love this picture, number one, because it's a picture of my favorite person. And I love this picture, number two, because this picture is a mosaic comprised of every picture I posted from my phone onto Facebook over the last 10 years. Right? I am a brilliant artist. <laughs> and there's also some website called Mo- Mosaically or something that let me do all this stuff in about three minutes. So, no, but that's all my pictures that I've taken from my phone and posted them onto Facebook and put them all together. And all the parts of that thing make one whole picture of my bride, which I just think is amazing. What would be more amazing if I could take all the pieces of my life and bring them into one consistent whole? like where nothing was broken, where it all looked good together, it all fit well together. If I could do that with my life, that would be a miracle. And, uh, and we're talking these days about what it looks like to be whole. We spent the last month from Easter Sunday, from Resurrection Weekend up until today, we've been talking about what it looks like to be whole and how God wants us to be whole and how we want ourselves to be whole. And yet we struggle with it. And it's like, it's, it's not an easy journey to get there. And, uh, and so we're like, okay, God, I'm going to lean into this thing and figure out where you want me to be, how you want me to get there, what that's going to look like. So I want to do a little bit of review. This is going to be our last weekend in this series. We're going to go to something different next weekend. Uh, but for today, I want to start with some review of where we've been, and then, we'll, and then let's pick up one new piece or a few new pieces to this whole puzzle of, uh, of being whole, living whole lives in just a minute. So some, some background. Number one, nobody is automatically whole. We've said that repeatedly over this series. So you can just, if you come into church and you look around and everyone else looks like they got it dialed in and put together... You go, man, I hope I'm like them someday. I hope I'm like that family someday or or that guy someday or that woman someday because they've got it all together. Nobody is automatically whole. So just like breathe a sigh of relief and go, oh, pressure off. Pressure's off because I'm not whole. uh, You're not whole. The person next to you is not whole. But God's moving all of us that direction. And God has grace for us overwhelming grace for us to move us in that direction. And that's a great, great gift that God has for us. Second thing we've talked about as we've gone along, we saw this in the very first weekend, wholeness begins with resurrection. It starts with the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, stop coming to church. It's, if he didn't rise from the grave, this is, this is pretty pointless because there's no life after this. There's, and maybe there's no hope for this life. But he rose from the grave. And if Jesus rose from the grave, then he promises something else that if we trust him, if we follow him, 
then he promises to raise us up as well. So there's life for us. There's life in this life for us, and there's life in the next life for us. There's life for us, and wholeness begins with resurrection. And maybe, the, maybe you're newer to church, and maybe you're newer to who Jesus is and what he's doing, and, and maybe today's the day, and I'll give you an invitation for this and explain it a little bit later, but maybe this is the day to lean into Jesus and go, Jesus, I want in on that. I want in on resurrection to change my own life. Because that's where it begins. And then we've talked about this idea that forgiveness is the path to wholeness. Nobody gets whole without forgiveness. Nobody gets whole without receiving forgiveness. If we don't receive for forgiveness, because we've all offended somebody. We've all, if, you, if you live with somebody long enough or you work with somebody long enough, you're going, to, you're going to offend them or hurt them or disappoint them or fail them or something, and we're all going to need forgiveness. So nobody gets whole without receiving forgiveness. But there's another part of that, and, and that's this. Nobody gets whole without giving forgiveness. You cannot come to wholeness without offering forgiveness to somebody else. It's why Jesus taught us when he, when he taught his disciples to pray in what we now call the Lord's Prayer, he said, one of the things you should be praying is this, Father, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Why? Because Jesus knew it would be important to be forgiven and he knew it would be important for us to give forgiveness. And both of those things go into the pathway of being whole. We saw a story together in Luke chapter 7 where there was a, a Pharisee and a woman and, and G, they, Jesus told them a story about two people who had debts and, and he asked them at the end of the story, one was forgiven a lot and one was forgiven a, li a little and he asked the Pharisee, he goes, which, which one loved more, the one that was forgiven much or the one that was forgiven little? And the Pharisee guessed and he goes, well, I, I guess the one that was forgiven more loved more. And we said, it's not really, it's not really a matter of of how much you've been forgiven, it's what's your perspective on what you've been forgiven for. Because we've all been forgiven for a lot, or God is willing to forgive us all for a lot. But it's how aware of that are you? I find people that grew up in church and then kind of went off the deep end at some point in their life, walked away from Jesus, maybe in, maybe in high school, maybe in college, maybe in young adulthood, I don't know, but, but kind of went off the deep end and went away from God and then someday came back and they look at their lives with this amazing clarity, like, like I've been forgiven a lot. And so their love is great. Or people that were just born off the deep end. Don't raise your hand, but you know, some, they're like just like they never knew who Jesus was. They never got connected with him. And they're in their early days, uh, like growing up in church, they just, they were born out here somewhere. And then somewhere in their life in college or after college or somewhere, they came to Christ, or maybe you came to Christ and you're like, oh man, I get it. I, I know what I've been forgiven for. It's huge. You know, the ones who struggle with this idea of forgiveness the most it's those of us who grew up in church and stayed at it. It's the ones of us who grew up with Christ and then we stayed at it. We never walked away from him. And sometimes we think we've just got it dialed in. And we miss out like that Pharisee did. We miss out on the idea that we've been forgiven a lot. When you know that you've been forgiven much, you love much. And that's the path to wholeness. Then last week, we looked at the Old Testament. We looked at the 23rd Psalm together. We, we talked about our shepherd. 
And, uh, and I was telling you last weekend, it's really beautiful thing, really helpful in the process of growing whole. It's really helpful to memorize the scriptures and then to meditate on those scriptures and to, and to sort of chew on them and reflect on them and let them shape your life. It's really helpful. So I said, you should memorize the 23rd Psalm. Be really helpful for you. Then meditate on that thing. And I, and I, just, I read the reaction and I'm, I know some of you are like, I, I can't memorize that. It's more than three words. Sure it is. I'm like, yeah, okay, so maybe you can't memorize that whole thing, but so let's learn seven words. Let's memorize seven words that sort of summarizes the 23rd Psalm, and let's put those into our heart, and let's meditate and reflect on those things, right? Do you remember those seven words, the first four? Remember the first four? He restores my soul. Some of the most important words you'll ever hear from God, he restores my soul. What a gift that is. And then the last, the last three words of that are what? My cup overflows. He restores my soul so that my cup overflows. That's how it works with God. And, I, and, and it's like you don't have to be half full or half empty at all. He goes, I want your cup to overflow. Now, that doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen every single moment. But it's as we lean into Christ where we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. My cup overflows. That brings us to where we are today. Today I want to walk through a New Testament chapter that describes another step or a few more steps in the process of becoming whole. So if you have your Bible with you, why don't you open up to Romans chapter 12. And I'm going to read this for you. Some of it we're going to talk about. Some of it we'll just... Uh, read and then go on to some other things, but I want to read Romans chapter 12 for you. If you have your Bible, you can open up there. If you have a smartphone, you can open up on the YouVersion Bible app and follow along with that. That's great. If you just want to listen, that's fine as well. Romans chapter 12, written by the Apostle Paul, says this, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect, and pleasing will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, don't think, more, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul had a process when he would write. He had a pattern that he would use when he would write things. If you're a writer, you probably recognize the more you write, the more you see patterns in your own writing style. And Paul was like that as a writer. So when he would write these letters, kind of this new art form that he created to encourage the churches around the Roman Empire that he either he started these churches or he was just sending a a letter to encourage them, he had this pattern where he would spend the first part of his letter talking about God. Because it's like, I can talk to you about how you should live for God, but until you know who God is and what God does, it doesn't make a lot of sense to practice stuff. So he would spend the first part of the letter giving theology, and then he would give the last part of the letter to practice. And here in his letter to the Romans, it's the same thing. He gives the first 11 chapters to theology. The, The theological truths that are in Romans 1 through 11 have changed the world. We've spent time on those before. We, we, could, uh, we could come back to them, but I'm going to skip over them and trust you to read them for yourself this week. Chapters 1 through 11, okay? And we're going to jump into chapter 12, which we just read. And t- chapter 12 begins the practical section where he goes, all this stuff that's true about God, let's live it out these ways. And that'll move us toward wholeness. So he starts off by saying, uh, therefore... Which, which is a marker that you should always look back at what came first. So that's the theology side. He goes, therefore, because of all of that, in light of God's mercy, I want you to do something. What do, you, do you know things about God? Some of you have been here a long time. I'm pretty sure you know some things. What do you know about God? Let's do a little interactive. Tell me something you know about God. He always keeps his promises. He's trustworthy. What else do you know about God? He's love. Good one. Everyone know that? Yeah, we, okay, we're all agreeing on that. Yeah, what else do you know about God? Anything? Faithful. Forgiving. He's your creator. He's everywhere. Good. Oh, we got a lot of things going, right? How about this one? God is merciful. That's a fascinating one to me because of all the things we usually talk about when we describe God, in my, just in my recollection, it's all anecdotal, but in my recollection, we don't very often talk about God's mercy. But Paul says it's because of his, God's mercy that everything else comes. It's because of God's mercy that God gives us grace. It's because of God's mercy that God opens up a path to heaven to be with God forever. It's because of God's mercy. God has this amazing mercy, and he says, in light of God's mercy, I want you to do something. I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
So one of the parts of our mosaic that we're trying to build as we try and become whole in our lives, like, oh, we we got this God piece, and God is merciful, and now God, this merciful God, asks me to give my body, to give my life as a living sacrifice. You know know how how Old Testament sacrifices were sacrificed? Dead or alive? Dead. Take the mystery out of it. They, they killed those animals to do these sacrifices. Now Paul says, look, you know, that's not what we're doing as Jesus followers. We're not doing dead sacrifices. We're doing living sacrifices. I want you to give up your life for the sake of Christ. To do that, something has to change. Something has to change. He says, I want you not to be or no longer to be conformed to this world. We get, we get so squeezed in by the world. In fact, one translation says it this way. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That's a good translation of it. Because to be conformed to something means something is pressuring you from the outside in. Our world pressures us every single moment of our lives. It's always trying to squeeze you into a pattern, squeeze you into a mold, make you look like it. The world talks about creativity, but they want us all to be the same. That's why we categorize things so much. You ever heard the phrase, there's two kinds of people in the world? You ever heard that phrase? Two two of you? It's a phrase, you guys. (laughs) All right, so yeah, so there's two kinds of people in the world. Then they proceed to tell you what the two kinds of people are, and they assume you've got to fit into one of those. Like there's Republican and Democrat. There's two kinds of people in the world. You go, I got to pick one. Why? Why? Because the world wants to squeeze you into its mold. And if you don't fit their categories, they don't know what to do with you. You go through all your life and you go, there's there's two kinds of people in the world. There's two kinds of people in the world. Like, why do I have to fit into that? Take any pairing of two kinds of people in the world and ask yourself where Jesus fits into it. Unless, unless the pairing is like breathing or not breathing. or you know, It's like he's not going to fit into these pairings. Why? Because he's not letting the world squeeze him into its mold. He goes, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I don't want you to be conformed to this world, but I want you to be transformed. Well, there, there's the crux of the mission of the church, isn't it? And what, what's the mission God has put us on? It's to transform as many people as possible into passionate and productive followers of Jesus. That's the mission that he has for us. Transformation. He goes, don't be squeezed to the world's mold, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Like let your mind be changed. Let your mind be made whole. I want you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We do so many things around here that are about transformation. We got blitz coming up in three weeks, summer blitz. We have a thousand children that are going to be coming for blitz. We have a few spaces open still for children, which by the way, this is the last day to sign up. 10 o'clock tonight, it all shuts down. Registrations go down. If you've got friend, or that children in your circle, in your oikos, that, the network of your life, if you've got children who haven't yet been invited to Blitz, invite them today because they need to come. Why? Because it's all about transformation and we would love to see that start with children when they're young. Some people have asked, are we doing scholarships for Blitz so that kids who can't afford to come can come? We are. If you want to give a scholarship to Blitz, you can still make that happen. Beautiful. 
but we're going to have a thousand children here, and I'm confident that hundreds of them are going to be in a spot where their life begins to be transformed on that week, three weeks from now. We do small groups at Lakeside. Why? Because we get into the Bible in those things. And in those, in those Bible studies or those small groups, it's not just about Bible study. It's about connecting and sharing and praying together. But in the Bible study part of that, we're renewing our minds. We do study groups. Like right now, we've got the Living Grace study group going on. And it's about renewing our minds. And sometimes our minds struggle and, we are, and we're broken. We find, man, to get into scriptures and to see how it shines light on our life, that renews our mind. We host the Global Leadership Summit here at Lakeside Church every summer. Why? Because some of us are leaders and we need to have our mind reshaped, renewed. That word transformation, that word talks about the essence of something being changed from the inside out. That's what God wants for us. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But make sure it goes beyond your mind. Make sure your renewal is not just in your mind. Make sure your renewal is not just intellectual renewal. Have you ever, have you ever known a know-it-all? Oh, you have. Yeah, and, 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 and how is it? Don't, if you're sitting next to them, don't, you know, don't react. <clears throat> but is it, is it always comfortable? Like life is, life is easy and good when, you, and when you're no one know-it-all, when you're with a know-it-all. Is it all that easy? It's not that easy. It's hard. It's hard because they got to tell you they're right on every single thing. Have you ever met a Christian know-it-all? It's worse. <laughs> what happens for some of us sometimes is we go through our spiritual journey and we're letting our mind be renewed and we got all this knowledge, but we get stuck in our transformation process with the knowledge piece of it. And when we get stuck with the renewing of our mind, without the renewing of our life and our attitudes and our actions, when we get stuck with just the renewal of our mind, we get stuck ugly. Christian life was never meant to be just mental. It was never meant to be just intellectual. Now it's not anti-intellectual. It's not that at all. We ought to use our brain all the time. God made it. We ought to use it all the time. But we can't let our renewal stop just with the intellectual. It's got to go to our attitude. It's got to go to our heart. It's got to go to our hands. Look at some of the other verses that, or the other statements that Paul uh, makes in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 It's really practical starting in verse 9. He says, love must be sincere. Literally, literally the word he uses is unhypocritical. Love must be unhypocritical. When you go, okay, sure, it should. What does that look like? In ancient theater, uh, especially in the Greek world, they would have these theaters that would seat literally thousands of people. You would be seated so far away from the stage that you couldn't see the faces of the actors who were portraying the, the story on the stage. And so the actors would often have a big mask that they would wear. And the mask would have, depending on what the character's nature was, the mask would have a big smile or a big frown or a big angry look. And the word hypocritical means to stand behind the mask comes from the drama world. 
Paul says, love must be sincere. Love must be unhypocritical. Love, love must not be behind a mask. Because I want you to love without a mask. I want you to, you know, I want you to love that way. I want you to love sincerely. Why? Because it's the most vulnerable place you can be. And when you're vulnerable, you are open to life change. When you're, o- when you're vulnerable, then you're open to transformation. But vulnerability is really hard. I don't know how many of you are binge watchers. Any, any TV show binge watchers in the house? Yes, yeah, some of you. I, I, I've not been that, but I, I got kind of into the, the show that's been out called The Crown on Netflix. And it's a story about Queen Elizabeth and her husband, Prince Philip, and their family and how this all goes in their early days. And it's been captivating. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be a royal person with all the eyes on you and responsibility and all that goes with that. And so it, it, and it tells, and I don't, I don't know if it's a true story, so it may just be total fiction beats me. I don't, I don't think Prince Philip sat down and went, let me tell you how it all was. I don't think that's how this works. But in the story, they go through all this trouble and conflict and pain. And then at one point, Prince Philip, who's now like 97 years old or something like that, at some point when he was younger, he was trying to express his affection for his wife, but he had a hard time doing it. And you can tell that he's emotionally passionate about trying to communicate this to his wife, but he just can't do it. And he's actually kneeling next to her to tell her how much he like, likes her. And he can't raise his head. And he finally gets the words out. From his knees, he says, I, I, I just want you to know I love you. I'm like, your majesty, look her in the face. Look her in the eyes and tell her that. Be vulnerable with that. When you love someone and you're vulnerable like that, that's when it changes you. And that's when it changes the other. Love must be sincere. Love must be without a mask. Because that transforms us. In verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. That's a funny phrase, too, because literally what he says is, be of the same mind with one another. I'm like, in the whole church? Be of one mind? Be, like, be of the same mind? How are we going to do that? Number one, that doesn't even sound possible. Number two, it doesn't even sound lovely. Like, really, we're going to have no opinions, just one opinion? We're going to do group think? That's what church is? I'm like, I don't think that's what he's saying. So when the New International Translators translated this, they said, live in harmony with one another. I don't know if you like music or not. I'm not a music aficionado, but my favorite music comes when the band's playing. I, I'm always amazed at a band. You can have six or eight people in a band or 100 people in a marching band, and they're all playing music, and it all works together. That astounds me. But what I love is when the vocalists break out of unison and suddenly go into harmony. I find that thrilling. I find that uplifting. 
Jesus goes, I find it the same way with my church. Live in harmony with one another. He goes, I find it the same way in families. Live in harmony with one another. Make music together. Be on the same page. Be on the same sheet music. Be on the same chord chart. But be in harmony with one another. Finally, in verse 18, he says this. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That word peace is the Greek word erene, but it represents the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom means wholeness. It means all the pieces of your life have come together. And all the pieces of your life are different. They are disparate uh, activities and thoughts and conversations and relationships. They are scattered around uh, the spectrum of what happens in your life. But those things all come together and they become a whole. That's what he's asking for. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. It's an interesting phrase that he puts in there, as far as it depends on you. Because there are times when people, somebody else won't let you live at peace with them. They just won't let you. Now, it can be a cop-out verse too, can't it? I tried everything. I sent them an email once, like six years ago. They never responded. I think I used the right email address. I've tried everything. He goes, no, no, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, how far do you go to make peace? How far do you go to be at peace? He goes, that matters in the process of wholeness. And when we do these things, and that's not all the things, but when we do those things, all these different parts of our lives, the part that's God and how merciful he is and the parts that's us and about how our mind works and how our soul works and how our actions and our attitudes work, then all those things come together to make a whole. Look at this picture. I love that picture because it's a picture of my favorite person. I love that picture because it's made up of a bunch of other little pictures that are favorite pictures in my life. But mostly I love that picture because it's a picture of someone whole. Not perfect, but someone who's redeemed, someone who's forgiven, someone who forgives and loves without a mask. I want to be like that. Jesus wants us to be like that. And toward that end, he restores my soul. My cup overflows. Jesus, I pray for us today that these things that you describe for us in Romans 12 will be lived out in us. I know, Lord, that we come from all different places. So many different places we come, to on a, uh, come from on a Sunday morning. And some of us came from peaceful breakfasts this morning, and some came from noisy car rides in the car with children who can't find their socks. Some of us come from alcoholism and addiction 
Some of us come from a job promotion. Lord, we come from all over the map. But today I ask that you would build these things into our lives, an awareness of your mercy, a desire to present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds and our attitudes and our actions, that we would love one another without a mask, that we would be at peace with one another and we would have wholeness. Lord, all these things come as gifts from you, so we lean into them, we receive them today, we seek to live those out today in the name of Jesus. Amen.